0: Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the PS Football Podcast. My name is Sam Steen and this week I'm joined by Peter Henry, Carl Williams, Scott Bowman and Danny Ward. The Premier League is back with a bang and there's loads to talk about, so let's get on with the show. So the premier league is back and peter do you want to start us off it was well was it the same old arsenal again or i mean it was an exciting game
1: yeah it was a great game to start with seven goals and i'd say whoever whatever tv executives decided to put arsenal on it was a smart move because you can't really lose with arsenal like there'll either be loads of goals and they'll be entertaining or they lose and you get the whole wenger out thing so it's kind of win-win with arsenal the game got off to a great start for them. That was a brilliant header by Lacazette, I thought, you know, mm-hmm. from a standing start uh, to guide it into the corner like that was a beautiful piece of play. And then, yeah, of course, like you said, the old, same old Arsenal, the defensive lapses came in again. Every, every one of Leicester's three goals you'd have to put down to per defending by Arsenal. Klasinic coming off the back post for the first one, sloppy pass by Zaka for the second, and then, um, yeah, just a mess defending the corner for Vardy's second goal. It's the same thing, good going forward, but when it comes to going the other direction, they'll always struggle Arsenal unless they need to sort out that defence because for me, Holden looked like Bambi on ice in the first half. Monreal, I felt sorry for. He shouldn't have even been playing there in the centre of the three at the back. There's a lot of work to do on that Arsenal team. I still think they have a good chance at the top four, but their defensive uh, culpabilities will always come back to haunt them in terms of going for a Premier League. But I did think, actually, I thought the two best players on the pitch were actually from Leicester. Um, I thought Harry Maguire was brilliant. Defended well, composed on the ball. He goes on these big marauding runs forward. And then Jamie Vardy was bright as a button going forward. So um, I think Leicester will finish in the top ten. I think they're a pretty solid outfit. Uh, Just missing Kante from the the title-winning team. And they've strengthened well with Acho and Maguire. So I'd say... Coming out of the game, Leicesters have a lot to be positive about. And I'd say the thing for Arsenal that they'll probably take away from the game to be positive about would be probably their squad depth. Because being able to bring uh, Ramsey off the bench and Giroud to get them the two winning goals, that's a big plus. There's other teams that wouldn't boast that same calibre of player off the bench. So they would be the positives for both, but it's hard to put any other spin except, yeah, the same old Arsenal.
2: I think we said before the season started that going forward, I don't think you fear for Arsenal. They've got that capability in attack where they will they could pressure for the top four. It's just the other end of the pitch that's really going to potentially hold them back. And Peter Cech potentially looked like he might be creaking a little bit. So that, that may be another position they have to start looking at again soon. But they'll, they'll be glad to come away with a win. But I kind of feel that Leicester come away from that game probably... You know, not happy, but obviously they'll feel encouraged now that they went there and you know they scored three and they look really good. So I think Leicester look like they'll they'll they they won't be in trouble this year. They'll be safely in the top ten if they carry that on.
3: Vardy was my man in the match. I thought he was awesome, but it made he just run the Arsenal back line, ragged. I thought Klasniak was good. Rob Holding's got a lot to learn. Monreal looked like. Uh, uh, it's like, just like, like a lost little child and sitting at centre-back not knowing what to do. Um, Czech was definitely at fault for the first goal. I thought they looked really suspect. But on that, they didn't have their first-choice centre-halves at the back either. There was no Koscielny. I think he suspended. Um, there's no Mertesacker. So they've still got options, but they definitely need the strength. And they need another big, horrible centre-half to, to come in and really rough the opposition up. But, I mean, against the... The stronger sides, they might suffer a bit more than they did because they were easily exposed. But at the same time, against a lot of the weaker teams, I think Arsenal welcome.
0: What about it, Danny? Do you think they'll be happy that, you know, they they were up against it really with this Leicester side who really came at them? And and as uh, the boys are saying, Vardy was really running at them very hard. But will they be happy that despite all that, they still come out with three points?
4: Yeah, they they got the win, and uh, of course they're going to be happy to get the win, but I don't think that can paper over, paper over the cracks for them, really. Uh, I thought Arsenal played like Arsenal play, um, you know, their Arsenal will score. They'll score. Shed loads of goals. That's never in question. How many goals they'll score? Leicester, I thought, looked pretty good. Uh, thought they looked, they looked a little bit more like they did when they won the the league a couple of years back. Playing into the space. The second goal they got now was a quick ball out to Albrighton and a lovely ball into the box. And it was when Leicester won the league, they kind of played a, a percentage game. That's how it looked like to me, where the manager wanted them to get the ball into space. Not all the time was it a ball to feet. It was a ball that kind of gave runners an option. They weren't always going to get on the end of those balls, but it gave them uh, an option. And it also actually took the pressure away from the defence because they did have to do a lot of defending back then. What I took from that game, though, was I thought Albrighton was very good. I thought Fardy was very good. Akazaki gave you what Akazaki gives, you know. They have a lot of strikers, Leicester. Um, They still have Slamani, They brought in Iheanacho and they play one up top, and they like Akazaki behind, I don't really see how they're going to fit in, all these strikers. I'm not sure, is Moose is still there?
1: He's still there, yeah, but it talking go at some stage in the next couple of weeks.
4: Yeah, okay, yeah, because they're, they're a bit heavy, I think, on strikers. The big thing I, I took from the game was, for me, Marez, when he signed, uh, I think he signed for 440 grand or something like that, and he was, I don't want to be mean, but he, he was a nobody, and he was brought in as to play part of a system that got the ball into space quickly, either by you know, running at the defence or by releasing Vardy. Then uh, Leicester go and win the title. That gave him serious confidence. And I watched him on Friday, and I watched him a lot last year. What he started doing was, he started showponying a bit. And instead of playing the ball quickly into space and running at lads, he started taking that extra touch. Did anyone notice that? He takes that extra touch and tries to beat a man once and tries to beat a man twice. And it's not conducive to the way Leicester played. Uh, and I thought he he was being a bit... I, re- I reckon it was all in his head. I think he came from nowhere and he became a world star in 18 months. And I kind of felt that he had, to, he had to show off a little bit. So if he can get back to doing what's best for the team, it, it leaves him in a better light. And it probably get more people interested in in actually buying him because at the moment it looks like it's only Roma that are seriously interested. And this time last year, I would I would have thought there'd be nine or ten clubs interested. So I just thought that was interesting. I also thought uh, I just want to give a little bit of a mention to um, Craig Shakespeare. I thought he had an absolute nightmare taking off James in the 81st minute and putting on Ianacho when you're when you're three-two up away to Arsenal was absolutely criminal and uh, it cost, for me that cost them the game
0: uh, Let's move on to Chelsea then because uh, well, as we looked ahead into this game we had uh, the champions from last year against the team that won just one game away last season it could only go one way especially with Burnley so stacked full of Irish players uh, but it didn't quite work out that way Peter
1: Yeah no I think I'll have to uh have to say, fair play to the Irish lads. I've given them a bit of stick the last few weeks, but they were they were brilliant. I thought uh, Robbie Brady looked to have a great game. Jeff Hendrick was in the middle of everything. And then Stephen Ward joined that uh, elite group of people that can say the sentence, oh, I just knocked it by can't they? and then put it into the top corner past Courtois not many people out there that can say that to be fair they they got a big advantage with the cahill sending off and what they did what they had to do they maximized that advantage more than likely they wouldn't have got the result if it hadn't been for the sending off but fair play to them for taking their chance still stick by the fact that they'll struggle this season overall but chelsea chelsea fell apart in that kind of 30 minutes after cahill got sent off in the in the first half and everywhere i've been looking for the last over the last week, it's just constantly Chelsea they don't have enough players and uh, like as if we should almost feel sorry for them. But uh, for me, it's just a complete crock of shite because it all it all kind of kicked off a bit even more when Jake Humphreys held up this program at the uh, Community Shield and they had 24 players on it. This is a Chelsea team who've let 32 players leave this season on loan or permanently. It's a Chelsea club, it's the, the club itself has won the FA Youth Cup the last five years in a row. So they have the best young players in England. So it's completely of their own doing that they might, if they haven't managed the players they had well enough, that, but that's of their own doing, but they have enough players. Also I think last season one of their greatest strengths was naming the st- same starting eleven every week. As of today, there's only one of that, the players from that starting eleven who's actually left the club, and that's Nemanja an Matić. The more I look at it, it's a masterstroke by Mourinho because not only has he weakened Chelsea's team, he's weakened Conte's position at the club by, by pulling off that deal. I think, and I doubt that's been lost on Jose Mourinho. So if he's, you know, you have Cahill coming out giving interviews saying that they don't have enough players, you have Asquilla Peta saying that the players that came in aren't good enough. So is he saying that? Murata isn't good enough to replace Costa, who's technically still at the club. And then is he saying that Bakioko isn't good enough to replace Maddox? Because apart from that, all they really lost was squad players. John Terry, who didn't play last season, Loftus-Cheek, Nathan Aki. These, these these guys didn't play last year except the FA Cup. So I'm struggling to see exactly why everyone is, is, is giving Chelsea such sympathy because they seem to have created this mess completely by themselves. And I'm starting to look at it a little bit from the angle of You know, maybe they're missing John Terry behind the scenes because he was like an institution at that club. Um, He's the last link to that kind of strong spine that Mourinho built with Cech, Terry, Lampard, Drogba. And it seems that, you know, would Cahill, would Terry have given that interview the way Cahill did it? I'm not so sure. Would he have let Asquilla Preta do the interview? I'm pretty sure he wouldn't. Um, So I think maybe there's a bit of a power vacuum behind the scenes there at Chelsea as well when such an institution at the club is left. That's kind of been overlooked by everyone, I think, a little bit as well.
0: It's a funny one, Carl, because there certainly seems to be something perhaps lacking a bit mentally, or there's, there's certainly something up anyway. Cahill's red card, I mean, I think it was a red card, I don't know about you, it's one that happens, but Fabregas just completely, it seems like he lost the plot. The clapping of the hands was stupid, but the second yellow could easily have been a straight red as well.
2: Oh, 100%. I mean, Chelsea can have no arguments, really, with the two players sent off, you know. We we ask all the time that, you know, there is a respect campaign. As you say, Cahill stretching for a ball, studs up. It's a red card. You know, some people think it's soft, but it's red. And as you say, Fabregas could have gone straight red for the second tackle and quite rightly deserved the first yellow for the clapping of the hands. It seems funny, doesn't it, with Chelsea? There's definitely some kind of second season syndrome that kicks in there where everything seems rosy all of a sudden and you think, right, they'll kick on again. And in the second season, you always get that impression now that there's something majorly wrong there. And behind the scenes, not many people are happy. Conte obviously doesn't look happy and was his bench selection a message to the board, you know, naming, you know, basically an unknown bench, really. And that potentially could have been a message to the board. Um, you never really hear many Chelsea supporters say much good stuff about the director of football. Um is it Imanalo yeah. or something like that? He seems like to be the Imanalo, most loathed man at the club, doesn't he? You speak to most Chelsea fans, and they'll all say, oh, I can't stand that bloke, gets involved. And maybe that's the problem. The director of football role has always been one of those where there seems to be friction between the manager and the man buying the players. But something doesn't look right. But you've got to give credit to Burnley this weekend. they took They, they made the most of that half-hour meltdown by Chelsea and and took the game by the scruff and the neck, but then you also could say if that game had gone on another five minutes, you wouldn't have put it past Chelsea getting the equaliser. So they still did okay with nine men, and that's the worry for Burnley when they had nine men. Burnley's you know were still looking against the ropes at one point.
3: I think he had a plan. I think he had a vision for Chelsea that he could take them to better, height, bigger, and better heights than they've ever had before. More Champions Leagues, more League titles, FA Cups, and really turn them into the powerhouse of English football. And to be fair, they're one of I suppose of a trinity. I know Man United have fallen away recently, um, but between Manchester United, Manchester City, and Chelsea, that's been the trinity of uh, the, the the big clubs that have been bringing in all the honours season after season. And I think he wanted to really push that and build himself a legacy at the club. But whatever goes on behind the scenes at Chelsea, it's a massive mystery to, to outsiders like myself. I, I look at it. I've got to be honest. I don't like Chelsea very much. I have a little chuckle over it. Um, and when I see results like Burnley, uh, fair play to Chelsea. They pushed back. They scored two goals. Looked like they could have got a couple of others if had the game gone on longer. But let's not forget about Burnley's contribution. I thought, folks, particularly the second goal. First goal was a bit of luck, in my opinion. The way he turned and swerved it past the keeper. Um, But his second the header was an absolute touch of class. And they played really well throughout the game. And let's not forget Ward's goal where, um, I don't know if he had flashes of thinking of himself as Cristiano Ronaldo, that lovely chest and bringing it down and then that left foot, right, well past the keeper. It was an absolute beautiful goal. And um, then I think Brady almost scored near the end of the game as well. So it was a really complete performance by Burnley. You could say that, as the season progresses, that they almost lost or could have lost points to a nine-man Chelsea. But people forget how they were playing before. And I thought they played really well. They were playing football. They weren't just knocking it up. Um, The ball wasn't flying through there. They were actually trying to play football. And I think a lot of credit needs to go to Burnley.
0: Danny, is it stupid to... I mean, it is stupid to start saying things like crisis at Chelsea and stuff like that. But they lost in in the Community Shield badly lost last night, they're down players, they've got Spurs away next week, it could be a pretty tough time for them.
4: Yeah, it could be a tough start to the season for them um, I was reading one of the rags over the weekend, and the headline was save our season, <laughs> I was like all right, all right, yeah, calm down lads, will you, you know like Chelsea, I think Chelsea have gone out to 7-1 to, to win the title and Conte is now favoured to be sacked and for me that's fucking crazy you know, in saying that, like they have been left a bit light, I think Peter said it the four players in, 32 players out the door. That's not good, Mats. It's not good match for anyone. The, and they will need to strengthen uh, in the next fortnight, uh, and I'm sure they will do. I watched the game uh, and I saw the lineup, and I think the same as the rest of the lads. I kind of thought well, that's a long way from the team that walked to the title last year. And I was, I was, uh, I reckoned that maybe Conte was playing some sort of games with Abramovich. Uh, and I think it's a dangerous game because, you see, you've, we've all seen what happens when uh, lads take on uh, the Russian Oligarch because there's only one winner and it's usually him. It's usually Abramovich. And uh, I just don't, I, I, don't I, I don't know, I don't get too carried away by the first game of the season. Chelsea be okay. They'll sign a couple of players and I think they'll be okay. I still think they're one of the... Two or three teams that can more than likely win the win the title. I think it's between probably themselves, Man City and uh, Man United. Probably at the moment, uh, and maybe Tottenham. I don't think much has really changed. Uh, I thought the sending offs were justified. Uh, both of them. I was watching the game, and I think, I think, uh, I think Chelsea had two guys booked. Uh, within the first 20 minutes and I was sitting with a mate and I said they'll, they'll have another guy sent off here They'd lost their heads completely as the la- as all the lads are saying there. they lost their shit for half an hour You could see something wasn't right there And it wasn't much of a surprise when Fabregas got sent off and it was a filthy tackle from Fabregas But in saying all of that everything I've just said there another 10 minutes or so and you could have seen Chelsea nicking the point or maybe even all three I thought Morata did well when he came on. And uh, I think Chelsea would be OK. And I'd probably stick a few bob and Chelsea to win the league at 7-1. to because <laughs> yeah. but They started yeah. off slow
2: last year, didn't they, Chelsea? Yeah. To be yeah. honest, At the start of the season last year, they, they didn't look that great. And then all of a sudden, it clicked into gear and, and they go on. And it, I think, as you know, Danny's quite right there. The first game, it, you can't really take the first game. It throws up some of these odd results, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. Boys, yeah. I don't think... Um, I think it looks pretty messy with Chelsea, to be honest. Um, I don't see Conte being there for that much longer. Just seems to be a lot of uh, just a bad, bad vibe around the place. He's had, these, he's had these fallings out with the club. I don't see that getting any better. But, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea have been here before with managers and they'll just sack him or he'll leave. And then in a year's time, they'll be back challenging for the, ch- for the title race. They've had a few seasons before. Villa's Boas, you remember Avram Grant was there. You thought it's actually the players running the show. I think it's going to end in tears with Conte. That's my opinion. But don't it's Cher- Chelsea. They'll spend a few pounds and uh, next season they'll be back on for the league again. They have these seasons every three or four years, it, ha- it seems to be. So uh, I'd say this is just their, their period of self-destruct. And then they'll, uh, they'll be back challenging for things next season.
0: So that's Chelsea and Burnley, and Burnley kind of caught us a little cold there, but Huddersfield had a great result against Palace, who we expected to do pretty well this year. But uh, Peter Mounier, I know you think he uh, looks a bit of a player.
1: Yeah, really good business um, to get him, £11.5 from Montpellier. And uh, I don't know if anybody saw it, but the Huddersfield manager afterwards, David Wagner, he said, they asked him, it's very difficult to get transfers. And he said, no, no, it's not difficult at all. You go to the German league, to the French league, all the young players there, hungry players, they want to play in the Premier League. So if you do your research and you pick the right guy, you can get a highly motivated, highly talented player in pretty easily because the other big clubs are looking for, you know, to sign players from other big clubs a lot of the time. And I just thought it was a bit refreshing instead of managers constantly bitching and moaning about oh, it's a hard market and I can't get these players in. He actually went, well, if you do a bit of groundwork, lads, it's not as hard as you think. And he, he got the goalkeeper Danish boy Lossel in as well on loan from Mainz. So he's obviously using his Bundesliga knowledge there. And he, he was really good as well because I know it was 3-0, but Palace had a lot, I think they had 29 attempts on goal or something. So they were under a cosh a bit, which, yeah, dreamland, I'd say, for, for their fans because... Um, yeah, I, I predicted them to struggle and uh, Crystal Palace to do well. So I had a bit of egg on my face come, even by halftime when they were 2-0 up. But fair play to them. And uh, yeah, I, li- I like the look of the manager as well, just from the interviews he did. He seems like he'll bring a bit of uh, entertainment in his, in his post-match interviews. So fair play to them. And uh, yeah, I hope they do well.
0: All good news for Huddersfield then, but uh, at Crystal Palace, Carl Frank de Boer seems to have a, a bigger job than we thought on his hands.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, obviously, what you can see from Palace is it's going to take them a little while to adapt to the way he wants to play. You know, it's completely um, the reverse to how they were trying to play at the end of last year under Aladar. You know, it, their plan was get it up to Townsend, get it up to Zahar, Benteke, and we'll try and smash through teams where that won't be the new the new template as such they want to play football you know the keepers rolling it out from the back to the full backs and the center halves so that'll take them a little while to get used to but they wouldn't have wanted to go down three 0 at home on the first day to to Huddersfield especially yeah there's going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of nerves there but they should be okay if that system starts clicking then they should be okay. And obviously, when you've got players like Sahar and Ben Teke in your side, they're always capable of of good things. So, yeah, a, a shock result. But I think Palace will still be around that mid-table table mark.
0: It is a tough one, though, Scott, isn't it? You know, if you uh, start off with a loss against an unfancied side and lose as badly as that, it kind of see, puts seeds of doubt into not just the, the fans and everyone, but even the players' minds, especially when it's a new manager coming in with a new system
3: it'll make the players think about whether their the, the philosophy in the system work especially after working with someone as ballsy as Allardyce Allardyce was supremely confident he always got results I know that as a West Ham fan might not be pretty you might not like watching it as a supporter but he always got results but I actually think as as good as Huddersfield were and they were good uh Crystal Palace had a lot of the ball they had a lot of shots Uh, They had a lot of attempts. They've got a lot of good players in that squad. Now, I've also said um, that they're one of the teams that I expect to struggle. But if they get that project right with the players that they've got, they can actually look um, a a comfortable mid-table side at the same time. So it's whether the next couple of games, whether that was a bad day at the office or whether that's going to be a continuation moving forward, it's going to be a toss-up. I'm going to stick with my prediction that they they were going to struggle. But the, the flip side of things, as good as Huddersfield were themselves, is that they, they they rose to the occasion, their first ever Premier League game. I think it was their first game in the top fight for over 45 years. Um, unknown signings, able to... They, they didn't have the pressure on them where they were outmarked to the game, etc. Uh, and it was it was a fair play to Huddersfield. They, they rose to that occasion.
4: Well, i just pick up on something Peter said. I don't have much on it about what Wagner said. Wagner, everyone knows, is a good friend of Klopp's. Best friends, I heard. And uh, I think Klopp was a bit like that when he was... Uh, at Dortmund, picking up players from like Lewandowski from Lech Poznan, and 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 places like this, and I just wonder how much of an untapped market or the or I wonder what the lads think about it, how much of an untapped market are some of these smaller leagues, uh, lesser known players. It seems like big player, uh, big teams like to buy players from big teams because I think we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago because they've played with a, a bigger team, so they kind of know they can handle the pressure. I wonder is there a market there for uh, for managers like Wagner and people like Chris Hewton and all that, to go, into the, to go into the Dutch, the Dutch leagues, the Belgian leagues, because there seems to be plenty of fines out there. And uh, I just I, I just wonder, is it maybe lazy from the scouts' point of view, uh, from the bigger clubs, or they're just not interested? They just want big names from big proven clubs. I when think- you
2: look at the guy who scored two, the Morier for Huddersfield, now if you look at his last couple of seasons out there, he is, I think, he's each season played something like 35 35- games and scored 15 goals so he's only 22 and that's not a bad return for a young striker in the French league so I guess I suppose the problem is for a team like Spurs Liverpool or someone like that if they take a punt on a player like that and he comes in like Spurs did with Jansen he's got a big reputation in his home country in the Dutch league we buy him he knows he's not first choice because he's got to try and get past Kane and all of a sudden now those first couple of games he plays there's real pressure on him Whereas when a player goes to a team like Huddersfield, there's not that pressure, is there? He could come in and be well. We're not a world. We're not a top of the table side, so we're not expecting you to come in and you need to hit the
3: ground running because we've spent thirty million on you. it's worked for us in the past. We got Di from Metz. They'd uh, I think they won the second division, and he'd got uh, twenty goals in thirty odd games. Uh, we got Giku um, uh, Kiyoti from Andelect. I think they'd won the. Uh, Belgium League that season. Um, and I think they were prepared to go to the Champions League at the time. But, I mean, unknown, yes, smaller leagues, yes, but there's lots of untapped talent. We got them for the Championship as well. People forget just the lower divisions in English football, the Championship's a really competitive league. We picked up Antonio from Nottingham Forest. We picked up Cresswell from Ipswich Town. And they're two good examples of players, who, um, and Byron from Leeds. They're, they're three, actually, good players that have come up from the lower divisions in English football and at least made an impact for West Ham at some stage. Yeah, Just I think completely. one of the
1: big selling points, though, for, for a club like Huddersfield, for them young players as well, though, is being able to tell that 19-, 20-, 21-year-old that he's going to be playing every week. And that will give him a lot of confidence from the start. Whereas if he does go to a bigger club, if say if he went to Spurs, for example, Carl, he'd be sitting on the bench, he'd be back up. And then there'd be a lot of pressure at that age feeling that you had to show everything you had in 15 minutes at the end of games, you know? Um, so it, yeah 100% it, it, it's beneficial I think for the, for, the, for the player as much as anything and um, you have to be realistic as well some of these moves might work out but a lot of them don't as well and sometimes you're say, you know, we're, we're all saying about the clubs wanting big players but that also is by the fans the fans like to see big name sign-ins now as well they don't want to see have to go and Google some fellas. Danny Rose said the other day as well. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. the play the players like to see to see big big uh, signings coming through. But yeah, when you see a deal like that, it's always it always seems so easy. But the reality is, it can be hit and miss as well because you never know how they're going to react. So it's it's a yeah it's a tough one. When it works out, you look like a genius. But when it doesn't, you you know you know you look like you you should have signed an established there. But one thing yeah, I'd say there are some players there that. Sometimes it seems to me that when you get a move to a big club, you'll always keep moving between big clubs, whereas sometimes they should be giving young lads a chance. Some players seem to go to a big club, don't make it, go to another big club, sit on the bench. Then they go to another mid-level Premier League team. And they never seem to get back to the level that got them the big move in the first place but they seem to float around the Premier League getting big wages all the time so with l- lads like that I think they should be cutting them loose and getting in more talented youngsters definitely but th- that's a huge problem in football in It's general. a funny
0: one though isn't it because a lot of clubs you'd imagine that actually you know big clubs like your Real Madrid and Man United and stuff like this when they buy a player They're not just buying the footballer, they're buying the brand almost, you know, they're buying the the jerseys, they're buying the front cover of FIFA and Pro Ev, they're buying the Pepsi ads, you know, they're buying this exposure. So you can buy a young lad who's very talented and make him into a star, but so often now it's just about the commercial deals and about bringing these players on a tour to China or to America and selling all the jerseys and selling out the grounds and getting your you know, your, your noodle sponsor and your sponsor for the favourite tyres and your... Tinder. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it, it, there's a lot more to it for the bigger clubs to consider rather than just a, a player who might be good.
4: Yeah, but that's, that's, why, that's why I'm surprised more managers of big teams don't take uh, a risk. I, I'm not saying they have to put these guys straight into the first team and play them week in and week out, but... Managers and coaches, their job is to find out about people as well and see what their personalities are like. And some people, I think Carl said, oh, you can go to Huddersfield and you, there's not much pressure on you. Some people thrive on pressure. Some people actually want to be under pressure. Uh, footballers. Some people play better under pressure, and some people wilt. I understand that. But if you were to go and spend, I'm not saying I'm not saying you go and you buy your four or five players every summer and you go and buy them from Anderlecht or you go and buy them from Belgium or Holland, but. Uh, I'd like to think that you could maybe buy one a year. If it works out, works out great. If it doesn't work out, and this kid's played a few champ, uh, champ uh, he's played a few games in the FA Cup and the League Cup. You know yourself if you're attached to a big club like Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, and you've bought someone for nine or ten million from the Dutch league or the Belgian league, and if he's played ten games for one of those big clubs, he's now worth fifteen. So it's risk. It's a risk-free strategy for me because. People are, A lot of people are quite stupid. They're kind of going, well, this kid played for Liverpool. He must be an unbelievable player. Now, he mightn't have been able to make it at Liverpool or United or Chelsea. But he's he's been associated with those big clubs. So the smaller clubs, that uh, let's say a Southampton or a Swansea, they might say, Jesus, this kid now he he looked good. Maybe he wasn't good enough to get into one of the big uh, the big teams. But he'd probably be good enough for our team. And then the big clubs are making money on that, and the, and they've been able to have a look at someone. Well, that's so that,
0: I, that was basically Manchester United's business model for the last throughout the entire Ferguson era. I mean, look at. Uh, Bardsley, cleverly, all these players who came through, United didn't quite make it, but ended up being shipped off. I mean, the, there was yeah. one stage a couple of years ago, if you look the whole way down through the Premier League, there were loads and loads and loads of ex-United players. Darren Gibson's yeah. the other one, just piles of them. Yeah, yeah,
1: but that's, that's, that's not really... United never did it as a business model. Chelsea did it as a business model. United built these players up and moved them on into careers. Quite often, they let them leave for free or mm. for indisclosed, undisclosed fees. Chelsea, well, are really, Chel- Chelsea, are, Chelsea are the factory for that carry on. Really, they're well, they, the ones who they, purposely buy, buy these young players in. You know, lo- they don't even let the, you know. They loan them out. They loan them out, and then they, um, then if they play well at these other clubs, then they will, um, they will, you know, try and sell them on for a profit. With kind of with like Lukaku and and De Bruyne would be the two most high high profile cases. But I kind of agree with Danny to a sense that. It'd be good to see if you're making four signings in the summer, get a couple of established lads and then maybe one or two. Mix it up a bit. Have a couple of lads there, you know, who you're taking a bit of a punt on. Um, young players who've shown potential um, and and who might benefit from from being around better players every day in training. But for me personally, I just think for a 20, 21 year old, their confidence is very brittle. Um, you know, like just a lot of managers have said they can bring a kid up too early into the first team and they'll never recover from a bad performance so i think with young players they're they're better off playing uh, you know like this boy Mounier will do with huddersfield instead of sitting on a bench somewhere else
0: this kind of leads us nicely on to uh, a thing we're going to do a bit later on the show we may as well do it now which is uh, players that have been sort of left on the shelf uh, danny you mentioned mares a while ago but there's plenty of other players kind of so I guess they're sort of in that bracket a lot of hope and a lot of expectations around them early in their careers but now they're sort of looking for a move we're not sure what's going to happen with them Ross Barkley for example and Jack Wilshere Peter
1: Yeah Barkley um, Barkley one's a strange one all you're buying with him is potential despite the fact he's been around for six or seven years um, he's never done it for a full season he might be um, you know he might have Kind of purple patches, five, six games of looking good. For me, um, I don't want to go all Ian McKenzie on it and all, but he doesn't look like an intelligent footballer to me. He looks like he has it all um, technically and physically, but just makes poor decisions time and time again. You can see by how frustrated Everton fans get with him to know what it's like to watch him play every week. And I actually did an article for the website recently about whether Spurs, because he was looking for Spurs to smash their wage structure for him. And I looked at it, and in his whole career, he scored 21 Premier League goals and assisted 19. Deli Alli almost scored that last season, and Christian Eriksen nearly had as many assists as him just last season. So Spurs wouldn't be upgrading anything, bringing him in. Maybe he'll, he'll benefit from working with Pochettino. De Mares won. Now, I'm surprised no one's come in for Mares. I I know what Danny was saying earlier, but I just think that's a bit of, you know, there's so much video technology these days and and people study their opponents uh, in such detail that I think maybe Marez has been caught out with that second or third uh, season syndrome. Maybe the fullback knows where he's going to go now, so he has to do another little uh, jink inside or whatever to try and get away from him. Um, But I'm really, really surprised no one's come in for him. He played a year two seasons ago. That's That's a pretty, he was shit last year, but so are all the Leicester players pretty much like so. Um, and the other one I was taking th- Jack Wilshere, the future English football two years ago. Santoria bid six million for him. That's only one tenth of a Kyle Walker. <laughs> um, that's nothing like. So th- there seems to be a few players there left on the shelf waiting for waiting to be pulled just before the nightclub uh, closes. So we'll see how that goes now over the next few weeks. Well
4: I don't have much to add, just that the players uh, that the lads are really talking about are uh, usually overhyped English players. Yeah. You know, they do get a lot a lot of press. Wiltshire did look like a player when he burst onto the scene. He was the closest thing I'd probably seen to a gazette. Just just his body movement, the way he just went around people and all that. And Barkley's kind of a similar ilk, you know. But they're waiting for these guys to be a Gazza, to be a Zidane, that sort of mold of player. And um, for what, whatever reason, I'm not sure whether it's too much money um, Wiltshire with injuries—if uh, they've been hyped up too soon—if they think they've already made it and that drive is gone—I'm not really sure. But I don't think either of them are going to get to a serious, serious level. The Premiership players, there's no doubt about it. I think Wiltshire still has a bit to offer, and I th- still think he could do a good job. And I think I think he'd be a good player for someone like West Ham. I think he'd—I fi- think he'd fit them all there nicely, and. I think they're both luxury players, though. I don't think there's enough about either of them. And I wouldn't be, uh, as a Liverpool fan, I wouldn't be rushing out to go, oh, right, Jesus, try and get one of these two kids. Um, and there's no one really out there for me. I think Wilfred Boney, I know he's had a, a a bad couple of years. I still think there's something in him. And I think uh, if he can maybe go back to Swansea, I think they might be sniffing around him again. I think that it might reignite uh, whatever he's lost. I think, uh, I think there's 15, 20 goals in him a season.
1: You see what you were saying, though, about being over the overhyped young English players, Danny? It seems to me a lot of the time that the likes of Wiltshire and, and Barkley, they were being talked about even before they got into the first teams. Yeah. And it seems to me a lot of the time that the players that are, that are talked about before they get into the first team never live up to the potential. As soon as things don't quite work, and out from, they've been built up by everyone to think that they're invincible. Things don't start go, quite going their way. Wiltshire, I don't know what he is. Um, He's not a central midfielder, and he's not a number 10 because he doesn't score enough goals. So like you said, he's kind of a luxury player. You have to basically make a formation for him to get the best out of him, which isn't a great great quality in a player. Um, But it just seems to me between the English media, um, they're rushed into the England team way too fast in England as well. It's a problem in English football, definitely, that that these young, talented players get blown up so young and then they just seem to fade away in their in their mid-twenties. There, like, we're talking about two here, but I'm sure if we really went back and put our minds to it, we, we could come up with teams full of them, you know?
0: Well, uh, long story short, there's a reason, I guess, that they're being left on the shelf. Uh, that's it for this half. We'll go have some slices of orange and uh, we'll be back in a few minutes talking uh, United, Liverpool, City, Spurs, Everton. And of course, we'll pick our JT Prick of the Week. So while the lads are off powdering their noses, I just want to take this opportunity to tell you how to get in touch with the show and get loads more great Premier League content. There are new articles going up every day on our website, psfootball.net, and you'll find us on Twitter at underscore ps underscore football, on Instagram at psfootball, that's football with a U. We're on Facebook, and if you want to be sure that you never miss an episode of the pod, follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe on iTunes. And we're back. Let's start off with City then, because we thought that they were going to, well, Blow Brighton away with this incredible front line that they have, but they weren't great, Peter.
1: Well, oh, they got the job done, I suppose. They got the three points, most important thing. But I sounded like a bland player doing an interview there, actually. Yeah, like like you said, Sam. I really thought they'd come out all guns blazing. Would would be a great Saturday evening sitting there having a point, be able to watch, you know, some good attacking football. Brighton, in fairness, were very well organised as we expected. They were also terrible. On the ball as we kind of expected i was surprised Knockhart didn't play because he'd like 15 goals eight eight assists last season in the championship championship player of the year so i don't know if it was tactical or if he was carrying an injury but i was kind of looking forward to seeing him play i thought he might uh, cause city a few um few problems on the break i thought it was actually a bit conservative by guardiola because he played he played with kind of the you know the three at the back and the two wing backs and they were all specialist defenders okay he had daniello over on the left wing back, which kind of, it was highlighted on the TV by Stephen Gerrard over and over again that he was really slowing down the play. But you, you know, last season if Guardiola had gone three centre backs and two wing backs, I, you would have expected him to have sat, probably two wingers and maybe even a midfielder in in the back in the back three. So maybe it was a little bit of nod from Guardiola that he knows he has to defend better. But um. Yeah, in the, in the end, Aguero got his goal. Sixth goal in seven Premier League opening games. Like, well, what a finisher that boy is. I'd say if he played in the Premier League his whole career, he, he'd smash Shearer's record to bits. Um, but yeah, for City, there will be bigger tests ahead and there'll be tests that will tell us more about where that team is. But it wasn't all fireworks as we expected, which was a bit disappointing.
2: Yeah, but then I, I suppose this one knows, isn't it? City might sit there now and think that's a sort of game, if they now start seeing those kind of games out 2-0, just get the job done and move on to the next week when the, all the players are not clicking, that's what City have been missing over the last few years, isn't it? You know, they, When they're hot, they're hot, but when they're not, then they're average and they lose. So maybe this year it'll be a, a kind of year where when they're average, they still manage to grind out the results that they need that could push them towards that title. But, yeah, we was all expecting potentially four or five, and it was going to be, wow, look at this attack, when actually it, they just they managed to grind out the 2-0. And as we've said, Brighton, I, I predict Brighton will be in big trouble because I just don't see them having the quality to trouble, trouble most teams in the league. So I, I see Brighton really struggling this year.
3: I'm going to sound really contradictory or condescending or whatever. I disagree with a lot of things. I think Brighton will be fine this year. I said that as well. Uh, I think they'll be okay. I think they have got a good manager uh, and I think he knows how to drill a side. But on to Manchester City, they'll be more than happy with that result. It was nice and comfortable. It was getting over the line. Uh, first game of the season, three points in the bag. They don't look amazing, but they don't look poor either. So I, I think there's a lot of us who want Guardiola to fail. Um, because we all perceive that he's had it easy with the arguably the best Barcelona side of all time um, moving to buy Munich, which is a cakewalk for, for anyone, I suppose, with with the size that they have had and the fact that they, they can buy their best players off their biggest rivals. And then coming to, to England when there's lots of challenges, when there's um, a lot of unpredictability in the league and now... Uh, Guardiola's having to learn lessons and now we're going to see the test of whether he's a good manager. So I also think from that perspective, he will look at this game and go, that's exactly what I needed. A nice 2-0 win. We've we'll, we'll set our stall out for the season and uh, we can build on that.
0: What do you reckon, Danny? Is getting the job done enough for City?
4: Yeah, yeah, I think so. If I was a, if I was a City fan, I would have been. I would have been pleased with the performance wasn't an amazing performance, but they got the job done, as all the lads said. They had 77% possession. Brighton didn't look like threatening them at all. It was a kind of a case of when, not if. Um, they kept knocking on the door. All the players, I thought, you know, everyone was 7 out of 10. And I would have, as I said, if I was a City fan, they're the sort of games that I would have been a little—I'd be a little bit worried about. We haven't played at a hundred percent. You're not going to play at hundred percent every uh, every week. The league is too tough. You've too many games. You need to get over the line. They kept a clean sheet, as I said, didn't look like conceding. I, I'd I'd worry a little bit. I disagree with Scott there. I'd uh, I'd I'd worry a bit for Brighton. They look very light up top. Very light. I can't see them scoring forty goals this year. And if and if they're not scoring something more. More than 50-odd, I think they're in serious trouble. They're going to work They're going to work their bollocks off. And they're not going to be coming up against a, a City side with 77% possession every week.
1: Yeah, I, think, I see what you're saying, Danny, and I think it's only Scott that doesn't agree with us. None of us are denying that Chris Uton will drill his team well. That goes without saying. The problem is where the goal's going to come from, because they've Glenn, uh, Glenn Murray and that Hamed boy up front, they're championship strikers. We were talking yeah. about Huddersfield earlier on. They got this Mounier boy in. For, for any team you know, that's come up, you need a, a good goal scorer. And Huddersfield seem to have found that. Uh, I just can't see for, with Brighton where the goals are going to come from. And if you don't score goals, they might get a load of low scoring draws or, or whatever. But if they're not scoring goals, they're going to go down as far as I can see. How many teams do you see come up over the years that are well-organized? They do their best, but ultimately fall short because they just don't put enough in uh, in the net, basically.
4: Middlesbrough last year, you know. You just have to look at Middlesbrough. Well-drilled, you know, plenty of good defenders. uh, Never look like scoring and inevitably go down. Goals win games. I know it's an old cliche, but goals win games. Uh, Well, they definitely make sure you don't lose games. And there's too much quality uh, for them to be trying to shut out teams and nick one nils. Danny, what about Liverpool? Because they're
0: well drilled, they're scoring goals going forward, but they're leaking them at the back again.
4: Oh, they're, they're well drilled. Well drilled, all right. Yeah, they're well drilled at the back. That's for sure. It's like it's like you're stuck in some sort of vortex watching Liverpool. It's just like watch create chances make mistakes watch create chances make mistakes uh, like and i don't like how your club hasn't addressed this weakness it just absolutely baffles me but this little team you know what you're going to get they, they kind of tempt you into believing that at the end of last season i think they had five clean sheets in their last six games and uh, you're kind of thinking right that's the end of their uh they've turned a corner here and that's the end of all the rails but it's just uh, the, it's a that Defensive display the other night was, or the other morning was an absolute catastrophe. Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's 18, looked like the only player there that's played 100 or 200 senior games. The rest of them, Matip, looked like he was a basketball player. Lovren is just can't wait to make a mistake. Mignolet, who I've bigged up on here over the last couple of weeks, was back to his old uh, unreliable self. It's absolutely shocking for me. Going forward, no worries. I think Salah, Salah's added pace. Is going to make it's going to make Liverpool even more dangerous on the counter, but it's nearly like what's the point? You know, you know. I've I've said it for a while now. They have to invest in a man who can help, uh, who can sorry, who can keep his concentration for 90 minutes. They don't have one. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know. Maybe if I don't know if Klopp knows what the answer is. Maybe maybe he's looking at some Buddhist monk who can sit there for 90 minutes and keep his shit together, because there's no one in that back four, or back five that inspires any confidence with me. So the sooner. They get a Virgil van Dijk. He's not the answer to everything. I I, I listened to the Red Knapp, Carragher, um spat. And in fairness, I thought both of them were both of them had good points. Uh, we do need someone that's gonna attack the ball. But this zone will mark for me. If you don't want to get stick as a manager, and I, I don't think Klopp really gives a shit if he gets stick or not, he's all about the team. But if you don't want to get stick, man mark and go touch tight the stats might say that you can see less goals with zonal marking but it's highlighted so often now when you zonal mark that I think it dents the confidence of the players in that system whereas if you can see the goal just from a regular corner when you're a man marking there's not much talked about so uh, Klopp needs Klopp's a lot of work to do whether it's getting in an ex-player or Jamie Carragher or Sammy Hippia he's a lot of work to do and if if he doesn't get that sort of work done, Liverpool are never going to challenge for a title. They're never going to be taken seriously. And um, and that's coming from me, who wants to take them seriously. But I just don't have any confidence when they're only a goal up, will they see this out? It's too shaky. And if I'm shaky, I can only imagine what the rest of the back five are like.
0: Peter, what about Watford? Because they played their part, obviously.
1: Yeah, I actually I had a few bob on Watford to win this game. And I wasn't just doing it to wind you up, Danny. I actually I looked at it and I thought to myself... This is the type of game Liverpool traditionally struggle with. Watford have a quite a big team. Liverpool had the worst defensive record from set-pieces last year. And um, Marco Silva, I don't know if you remember last year, but he's only lost one home game in 45 home games across the spells in Portugal and, and Greece. And then Hull last season, he really turned uh, KCOM into a fortress for them. And he did Liverpool over quite easily, 2-0 there last season. So... I thought, um, I actually fancied Watford to do well and it looked good there halfway through the, the first half. I was I was already, I had a half the money spent. <laughs> but um, yeah, Liverpool came back in. It's hard to say anything different about Liverpool. It's a bit like Arsenal. They didn't answer any questions that people, you know, you're always looking for teams to improve in areas on the new season and Liverpool don't seem to have done that. The worst, as I just said a minute ago, the worst defence from set pieces, and then they concede two really soft goals. Um, the Okaka one, it was a similar area to where Vardy scored from, and you can understand a little bit how Vardy would slip through the net, but how do you lose fucking six foot seven worth of Okaka in there? Like, that's just... <laughs> you know, and it is the area where, you that front post area, you have to be brave. I, I didn't like sticking my head in there now, to be honest, I'd be off the back post somewhere, but... I remember Chelsea, the best I ever saw it was Chelsea used to put Drogba there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that. And he used mm. to head the ball. He would nearly headed up to the halfway line. Uh, he'd batter the ball clear. And you do need a really brave player in there. Zonal marking, I don't like it either. I, I prefer just even if, it, if it's man-to-man, at least you know who you have to blame um, yeah. afterwards. But I think what a lot of clubs do now is they have a mix of zonal marking, which I think this makes sense, is to have... So even when I was 10 and I played, I remember the coach shouting on, big lads on big lads. Very simple. You know, if, if you're playing a team and they're a couple of big centre-backs and they have a big a big centre-forward, get your three best headers to mark them. And then maybe get a lad on the front post area, on the back post. Or, you know, let them pick, let a few of the other players pick up zones then. But, yeah, like how... how, how player like Okaka can slip through the net from a corner and and have a free run, I, I just don't know. And how how Firmino can defend against him, running, having a five-yard run on him, If Firmino's static within his own zone, it's ne- he's never going to win. Like.
2: Liverpool is kind of similar to Arsenal, aren't they? In the fact that going forward, you have no worries about them and, and you fear them. Their attack, you know, Salah and Mane, I mean, what a goal from... Manet, you know, what a brilliantly taken goal. So their class going forward, they tear anyone apart. But you always know you stand a chance. If you can get a set piece or, you know, get Mignolet under pressure, Lovren under pressure, there's mistakes in there. And they'll always allow a team, allow a team in. And as long as that keeps happening, you're not going to, you know, you can't achieve nothing really. And is Van Dyke just the answer on his own? You know, I think as as the guys are saying, as Redknapp and Carragher were saying, I don't think one man can just solve that. He might bring some leadership in there and he might be better than Lovren and that. But at the same time, he's not going to be on the front post when a corner comes in. And if those guys are not willing to stick their head in, just signing Van Dijk won't suddenly turn them into the hulks where they're prepared to do what they weren't doing before. And so, yeah, Liverpool got some real dilemmas.
0: And uh, Scott, we worried, I think, in the last few weeks about Watford, but uh, they look pretty good. And as Peter said, maybe under Silva, they can do some business this year.
3: Oh, I thought they looked fantastic going forward. I think they could be a really surprised package. I think my initial surprise package was Bournemouth. And uh but Watford looked good. They look they look confident. They didn't play with any fear. And that's what you want when you're you're going against sides like Liverpool who look very vulnerable at the back. I had Liverpool to lose two one in a bit. And when it was two one I was sitting there looking at the cash out of symbol, going, Oh, it's only twenty quid uh, but can can Watford see this out and I stuck with it and obviously it didn't come to fruition. But I thought Watford played uh, really, really well. Uh, The the difference between what Watford uh, and and Leicester did in their respective games is they didn't show their opposition too much respect. The minute you show that respect, your opposition are able to walk over you. And I I thought their game plan almost come off. And the fact that Liverpool, at the last seconds of the game... Can't keep concentration at the back. They concede another goal. They they walk away with a point. And it's a disappointing day. And it goes back to what we were actually saying about um, um, Guardiola possibly learning from his mistakes. Is Klopp not? Um, because this is what is is, is, is is. He's officially the third season he's been around at Liverpool, and the same problems at, at the back. I don't rate uh, Mignolet too much. I think they're disorganized at the back. And when and the other reason I uh, put the bet. 2-1 to Leicester because when I had a look at the back line and I see people like Moreno I sort of chuckled at myself going well this could be an easy day at of the office for, for certain uh, Watford players and they've got some big lumps in that team that just exposed them And
1: Yeah I thought Mignolet you know if you notice the corner that they scored the last goal from I think <laughs> Trent Alexander came off and I don't know why they took him off because he was their best defender all day he was the kid who came on? Danny Gomez, wasn't
4: it? Joe Gomez. Gee, yeah, and uh, I can the, understand he, why he's he, bringing him on. He thinks they're going to lump the ball into the box. He's a centre back. He thinks, yeah, we, we, we'll we'll handle this aerial pressure. But we actually got done where uh, he actually got done out on the wing yeah, by Ricardo. Yeah, and I don't think, yeah, uh, I don't think um, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold gets done there.
1: No, but uh, my is but that, my point like, is more pressure. afterwards. It's They got a free then, and it came in and was cleared to the edge of the box. And Britos turned and shot, and Mignolet. He needs to man up here. He pushed the ball out from a corner for a corner, right? It was catchable or it was punchable yeah. out for a throw even. Draw. And he, yeah, went for the, he went for the most easiest option possible. There are the points where you need to man up and say, look, it's the 92nd minute here. We're under the cosh. I'm either going to catch it or I'm going to make sure I put it out for a throw in. But he took the easy option and then you know it all blew up in their face then from the corner. So it, it's about people taking responsibility back there as well, I think, you know.
0: Well, let's move on to Spurs then. Uh, Spurs won 2-0 against Newcastle. And, uh, Carl, we had some concerns. People were worried about Kyle Walker, but, you know, his almost namesake, Kyle Walker-Peter, seemed to uh, fill in there pretty nicely.
2: It was a good um, Premier League debut, wasn't it? helped, obviously, after half time by John Joe Shelby deciding to have a mad, a mad moment. Um, and from that point on, the game really became a, you know, a training ground game of attack v defence. Um, before that, the first half, you couldn't really tell which way that game was going. You know, Newcastle looked dangerous at times, and we looked dangerous, and you kind of thought, oh, if this stage is 11 v 11, you couldn't really tell. That could have easily become a draw nil nil one one draw but as soon as shelby goes off then we kind of just knew that we'd we'd wear him down in the end and you know the the movement of ali and kane and people like that ericsson and son would would shine through and thankfully thankfully it did and then davis the other fullback with potentially rose looking to see him move out of the club he gets on the score sheet so yeah some fears going into the season potentially turns out there wasn't no fears was there after all who needs carl walker 50 million <laughs> great money but no tougher tests to come definitely and who knows you know if shelby stays on the pitch and doesn't you know doesn't let his team down so badly then that game could have gone either way at that point
0: what about a peter Can Carl I- mentioned uh, danny rose yeah it's, you know fine played all right but it's not all uh- it's not all rosy, eh? eh? Uh, yeah. Oh! Oh! Yeah,
1: my, my opinion, I don't know if it's the... It might go against the grain a bit, or some people might agree, but my opinion is that Danny Rose, I don't think he did too much wrong. Um, I think Spurs, Daniel Levy in particular, um, has created this mess himself by not... It, they're trying to be a Champions League club, but they don't want to pay Champions League wages. They played Newcastle last weekend... Most of Newcastle players, the John Joe Shelvies and these other boys, they're on 100 grand grand a week. They're on almost double the money that the boys at Spurs are. And football, as much as fans don't like to admit it, is a business. And if you don't pay your staff their going market rate, you're going to lose them. Um, I think you should have went in at the start of the year and raised them all up to competitive salaries. When they go to England trading every week, the five Spurs players standing there or how many there is, they're the lowest player, paid players guaranteed um, and that's not that's not sustainable um, they need to start playing players the going rate. I know Alan Shearer's oh they didn't win anything all this shite but it's easy it's always easy for people like Shearer and Carragher and Neville you know who had the best everything throughout their careers all that was already looked after for them. They didn't have to worry about these things. Danny Rose is looking at it going I only get one more move. He's best mates with with Kyle Walker, Kyle Walker, their, their families are very close, they share the same agent who is one of their uncles. He's sitting there, his best mate has gone to Man City, he's trebled his wages, he's gone because of Man City's investment in the team, he's gone to being in the, the squad that's the favourite for the Champions League, sorry, the Premier League, and he's also closer to his family. So how can Danny Rose not as a human being at least be thinking, well that's not a bad deal? Um, you know, it, it, I, I think Spurs have created this mess themselves, more in more in particularly Daniel Levy. And this idea that fans have sometimes that Danny Rose so, somehow owes Spurs something I don't agree with. Um, if he owes anything to anyone, it's Mauricio Pochettino. You know, if a player joins a club and he's shite, nobody cares if he leaves. But if they actually go out there, and I don't think Carl, anyone would disagree, Danny Rose gives 110% whenever I watch him play. Um, he's forever on the ground getting treatment because he flies into tackles. Sometimes stupidly. Um, I you think know, you're right. You give yes, he gives it 110%. And if he, he, the reason that clubs are after Danny Rose is because he's played brilliantly on the pitch. Not anything cl- Spurs as a club have done for them. Their whole business model is to buy players and sell them on for profit. So I don't really see what the problem would be if he left then, you know.
2: I think you're right, Peter. The other thing also is that, you know when someone like Alan Shearer says, that well, these players haven't won anything. But at the same time, these players will turn around and say, no, but we're also the players who've got this club in the Champions League and got us second in the league. We're the players who've raised the revenue of the club now by doing that. You know, you're getting Champions League money because of us and our performances. So you're dead right. You know, it, there, there is that thing now where it's like, you can, in this modern era, you cannot have players, the top players that Spurs have got, like Larice, Adderweireld, Kane, Ali, Rose, people like that, uh, their ability who could walk into probably any team in the Premier League. Those top players, you know, they—they'd arguably get in every side in the Premier League. So they now know the going rate for that sort of player is probably one hundred and thirty, hundred and fifty k a week. They're not going to sit around at sixty-five, seventy-five k a week and especially if they you know yes if they're not winning things then they will also move on because of that if then if they see the chairman's not going to back it in the transfer market which was one of the things Danny Rose said this summer they wanted even the players wanted to see a marquee signing as a statement of intent of where that where this club is going they haven't seen that and for all we know Danny Rose has raised his concerns in the background with the club and said look I'm worried here You know, what we think, I think we need to do this. And I, at least for my personal situation, I could be getting this where I'm only getting that right now. And I think fans seem to think that footballers are not humans. We're all humans. Wherever we work now, whichever job you're in at the moment, if you're doing the same job as the man next to you and he's getting double your money, you will want that money yourself. Anyone who thinks otherwise is kidding themselves. So maybe Rose thought, I've been to the club, I've expressed my concerns. They've clearly done nothing about it because the window's nearly closing and we've got no one of any real substance. So now maybe I have to try and force it another way. And I'm with you. I I don't actually think he's done too much wrong here. A lot of what he said, we kind of agree with, to be honest.
0: Danny, what about Newcastle then? Because obviously they had Shelby sent off, but, uh, and, well, they're a club themselves with a couple of issues in the background.
4: Yeah, I saw something today where um, Buttersfield and Brighton have both spent more money than Newcastle. Now, that's that, that for me is telling telling me something's wrong. Something's wrong in Newcastle. Mike Ashley came out with, a, with an interview, and every time he comes out with an interview, they, they nearly make a film about it, you know. For a man that's made so much money, it's it's strange that he even leaves the house anymore because no one seems to know anything about him or hear anything about him. But when he does talk, it's massive news, you know. He's come out and said they don't have the they don't have a lot of money to spend. Newcastle, they've signed some players. They've signed some players kind of in the eight and nine million pound mark. Um, a guy from um, uh, what was that guy from Le, Legana? Legana's over in Spain.
1: Yeah, Harry Kane did him at the weekend. <laughs> He did
0: yeah,
4: got him late didn't he? Oh, did he? Yeah. Um, they've signed a couple of boys, and I I don't know if uh, it's the quality that Benitez thought he was signing up for. So the the, the breaking news now that um, that the owner Mike Ashley, who's on paper a billionaire, I'd say, doesn't have the dough or isn't prepared to sell uh, any of the Sports Direct shares might be it might be breaking news to um, to Benitez. And Benitez is a big big manager, he's been there, he's done it he's won Champions Leagues, he's won Leagues I don't see him hanging around and I think for me that's the biggest biggest worry for Newcastle because their squad is okay but their managers, their managers the top 7, 8 manager uh, in the league, there's no doubt about it and he'll have them well drilled and he'd keep them up, no bother but if he doesn't get the investment he wants uh, I can see him walking away because I think he'll walk into another job uh, in any of the top leagues
1: He's the fifth or sixth best win percentage ever in the Premier League.
4: You know that? He was a top manager for Liverpool. He mightn't have been the most uh, charismatic. He's no Jurgen Klopp. But I tell you now, if Liverpool were 1-0 up with five minutes to go or ten minutes to go, you knew they were seeing out the game. You know he has his uh, He had his doubters and he has his critics. But for me, he was a very good manager. And I think Newcastle are lucky to have him. And I think if they don't support him... It might be uh, adios, amigos.
0: Right, um, and on to United then. And, uh, Scott, actually, you've been calling this for quite a while. Lukaku, West Ham, bags of goals.
3: Easy peasy for him. He looks... It, well, the fixture's released. He's probably looking at the, the list to see where we are. Because he goes, right, I've got a guaranteed couple of goals here. And i got a guaranteed couple of goals there. And did he make easy work of us? It was mincemeat. I... Um, I sort of said before the game, we expect to lose. And you can accept that it's Manchester United there. They've just brought in an absolute superstar striker who's got a fantastic record against us. And uh, the proof was in the pudding. As, you, as we come out of the field we thought first five, ten minutes, uh, we look all right. But May night, were it knocking on the door straight away. And as soon as they start putting dangerous balls in, our defence was static and it was getting on my nerves watching it. Uh, I feel sorry for the bloke who was standing behind me because some of my language was a little bit coarse, to say the least. Um, But just there was nothing offered from West Ham, whereas Man United were all dominating, all conquering. And it was an easy day's work. And it doesn't help that we didn't look like we were attempting to compete with them with the fact that they've got Lukaku, didn't try to shut him out the game. Balls were flying all over the place. It was just, uh, there was a, a ball played in the first half, I think it was, by Mata, just over the top, um, for the for the striker. And, uh, I just went, this could be 6-7-8-0. My highlight of the game was when the final whistle went. It was just, bad from a West Ham perspective but then I have to take the and Blue specs off and I have to look at what May United were and they were awesome and there's no other way to describe it and they look like they've got a front line now that can really push for the top I, I think they're going to be there or thereabouts challenging for that league title.
0: Peter what about you you're a United fan you must have been pleased with that?
1: Yeah obviously I'm going to be a bit biased lads but um, I, I do I, I just think going as I said earlier going into the weekend you're always looking for your team to improve in the areas they were struggling with last week and I don't think any there was any real big statements. I'm, I know it's only the first weekend, like, but I just thought that that game was the kind of game United struggled with last season. I, even after 20, 25 minutes, I was kind of going, it's, it's a bit, the tempo's not too high here, but then they got the goal that they struggled to get last season, or not even just last season, over the last three or four years, really, since Ferguson left, the home form hasn't been great. So to then push on and get the second, the third, and the fourth, with Lukaku, I thought the first goal was a brilliant finish. Um, he does look clumsy at times on the ball. His first touch isn't great, but he's there to score goals. There's a criticism of being a flat-track bu- bully, but that's what Man United need. They're, they struggle to score goals against the lower teams, so that he'll do, that'll he do finely for me. He can go in there and score against all the little teams and get us three points every week. Um, and then Matic was... I don't know if I would haven't watched him closely because he didn't play for Man United, but that is the best I have ever seen him play. He was unreal. He was passing the ball, 40, 50, pinging a 40, 50 yards. He was beating men. He was breaking up play, covered the most distance, re- retained possession the most amount, of, uh, most amount of times and had had the, um, the, I think it was the most amount of distance covered as well. He was, he was immense. Um, so definitely, still early days. The one thing I would say though is United have a very favorable um opening to the season. They've Swansea away uh, next week and then the first first top 7 team they'll face will actually be Everton at the end of the, at the end of September. So United could be looking to get 15 points on the board realistically after first five games and if other teams are just dropping a little couple of points here or there because of whatever's going on with them. Um I think Mourinho in games is very good at holding on to leads and he's shown that over the years, once he gets into a lead in the league, he's very good at holding on to it. So, yeah, loads of, loads of uh, reasons to be optimistic from a United point of view, especially with the, the pretty favourable run of games we have to start, you know?
4: said it a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was really surprised that Chelsea sold Matic to United to one of their big rivals uh, as Peter said earlier strengthening a rival and weakening the hand of the manager uh, I thought he was irresistible I thought he was fantastic he looked he actually looked like a better player on his United debut than he did at any point in his Chelsea career now I, I don't think Mourinho went and said and and set him free you know from um, from the chains of uh, previous managers but I just thought he was—I thought he was absolutely fantastic. There was a few clips. Of he was—he was skinning guys. He was always trying to play the ball forward. He wasn't going for that crab sideways pass. I thought he was—I thought he was absolutely top notch. Um, Lukaku was going to make such a difference for United in those tight games at home where they sit in ten deep, uh, everyone behind the ball, because he'll get a chance and he'll bury it. And if he doesn't bury it from open play he'll get he'll get on the end of a corner and he'll make the difference. And once you go one 0 up, you saw it there, it was just a question of how many how many are they gonna get. And just looking over at Mourinho um during the game, he had that smug you know that Mourinho that smugness he's not oh he's not he's not overly excited or he's not waving his hands around going yeah we're brilliant he's just got that look like yeah this is easy uh and if I was well I am a, a rival of I follow a rival club I'd be I'd be pretty worried because he looks very smug and very confident and that probably means it probably means he uh, he fancies United this season
0: New strikers working, and uh, new strikers working for Everton as well. Wayne Rooney on the score sheet there, Peter.
1: Yeah, um, well, Sam, you know my feelings on Wayne Rooney. I've never been I've never been Rooney's uh, biggest fan, apart from when he burst through as a youngster. He was he was phenomenal, but I think I said it there in a couple of episodes ago, I think it was a mistake for Everton to, to sign him. But to be fair, he was brilliant the other day. Um, not just the goal. By all accounts, he, he dictated play. 199 Premier League goals. He's also has, uh, he's second, he's 105, 106 assists as well. You can't really argue with them numbers. It's just, I've had so many arguments with people about Wayne Rooney over the year because everyone used to tell me he was world-class and I used to say, but he lost the ball five times in the first half. And people would say, oh, but look how hard he he runs to get it back. And I'd always be saying, look, if he was world-class, he wouldn't be losing it in the first place. Um, And I think he's one of them guys that was just hyped up to be a better player than he was almost. But yeah, on the other hand, you just cannot argue with his numbers. Uh, amazing amount of goals for both Man United and in the Premier League.
0: Carl, he certainly seemed to enjoy that one. And I thought his run for that header was fantastic as well.
1: Yeah, it
2: was a great ball as well, wasn't it? He, he brought the ball down and knocked it, knocked it wide really well and and then obviously as you say the run to get in the box and, and the header it was it was just a good goal all round and I suppose that's the kind of thing Everton are just really looking for with Rooney this year, isn't they? Cooman said after the game, you know, he brings us he brings us something clever. He knows when to go down, potentially when others may look for a pass or hold on to it or go for a run. He, he knows the clock's ticking. Let me just go down, buy a free kick. And I think that's what he'll bring to Everton, you know, whether he'll start every week for him You know, who knows? Uh, I think tonight reports are Everton have spent, you know, agreed a forty-five million pound fee for Sigurdsson, so you know he'll come in and he might play that just behind the striker role, and him and Rooney might rotate. But you know, Everton that that's a good start for them against a Stoke side where you know I'm very fearful for them this year. But they'll take that, and yeah, I'm I'm sure Rooney will add something to that team.
0: More on Stoke than Scott, because uh, they could be in trouble this year, as Carl was saying.
3: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I just don't think they look that convincing. They lost one of the best players for us, Arnaltovic. Um They haven't brought in particularly well. Um, they've got an aging squad. Uh, and they've got a manager who seems as well as the world of football. They, no one's got any particular confidence in his abilities to really do anything at Stoke City, so I think they're banging trouble. Uh, If I was a Stoke fan, they've had a great run in the Premier League, and maybe in the back of their mind, they might have always seen this day coming. Um, But this season looks like it's going to be an absolute disaster for I mean, stranger things have happened. Um, I I perceive Hughes would be in the early sackings, though, and it's should depend. They can change the manager with and then come January, but I reckon they're going to be uh, between, I'd say, 16th and and 18th come Christmas time. And yeah, it's not going to be a good season for Stoke.
2: Well, their next few games, aren't they? They've got Arsenal, West Brom, Man United, Newcastle, Chelsea, Southampton, and Man City. And you can't see, you can only see them picking up the odd point. Yeah. They've only
1: won, um, they've only won three games since February and two of the teams they bet are now in the championship. So it's it's not. I, think, it, 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 I, I can think, understand. I, I can understand why everyone's saying they're going to struggle. I'm not so sure. I think that Zuma and um, they brought Zuma and Martin's Zindi back. He so them two boys in, and then the guy who might replace Arnautovic. He's an, does they've an Egyptian kid there called Ramadan Sobi, and he played a few games last year. He's really talented. If he can play well, and they get they're getting Jesse as well. It was saying today the ex Real Madrid from PSG. Um, I'm I'm not. Their form would tell you, their form since the last six months last season would say they're really in trouble. But I just have a feeling that they might surprise people by not being as bad as everyone expects.
4: They're, they'll be they'll be okay. They, I, I think they'll be okay. They've actually got more Champions League winners in their team than anyone else in the Premiership. If they get this Hesse deal over the line, they're now going to have five Champions League winners in their team or in their squad, which is pretty frightening But. that. Uh, I, I was worried about them when um, when they got rid of... Not worried because they got rid of Johnny Walters, but they got rid of a few goals from him and out which uh, I don't think Berahino and Crouch will get the goals they need. But they've brought in this guy from Schalke. super um, moting Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. And Hesse as well. Um... And if they can keep the likes of Bojan fit, get Afeloye back, they've got plenty of talent, lads. Um, and I don't, um, I don't, I don't really see them struggling if they can get everyone fit. They've got an excellent keeper. the Kurtzuma for me can be whatever he wants to be. Uh, I think he's going to be a top centre have. <laughs> Martin Zindy's good. Shawcross is good. They've plenty of talent there. And it wouldn't be. They might have a tough start, but I think if they if they stick with Hughes, he's not the most exciting manager in the world. He's been there a while. And you 'll only get them to a certain level, but for me they 're still, they're still around a seven they 're still around a, a ninth or a tenth team for me if everyone 's fit, uh, and I think and if Shakiri as well. I think there are plenty of options, so uh, for me they 'll be okay. Finally, then uh, the Pulis points watch
0: Peter:
1: yeah, as we said last week, Tony Pulis, Nothing, nothing makes Tony more happy than hitting that forty points mark. So uh, I had a, I had a look at at how his season got off this year, and uh, these are these stats that I'm about to read off to you, lads. These are the kind of things that could get Tony really hot under his magic hat. Um, so he started off the season with a one nil win at home. One nil is of course Tony F- Pulis's favourite score. He loves it. Dr- <laughs> dreams of one 0 nil. There's rumours that he's actually getting a suit. You know, like Mayweather's that said fuck you. Well, he's going to get one nil and brought it into his. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not only was the 1-0 good enough, he did it with 28% possession. Nice. Tony loves that. There's rumours that he, his, his main aim in football is to win a game 1-0 with less than 10% possession. Um, that's basically his wet dream. Um, and even, it gets even better from there for Tony. The winner came from a set piece scored by his new 6-foot, 5-inch defender, Hagazi, who's known as the Nesta of the Pyramids. <laughs> and uh, just, to, just to really to top it all off if there's if there's if there's one thing Tony likes more than a 1-0 win 28% possession and a goal from a set piece by a 6 foot 5 inch defender it's an ageing central midfielder and he snapped up Gareth Barry today so Tony's just Tony's, Tony's in dreamland at the moment lads
4: and I think that's, I love uh, Tony. that's I love pretty Tony. much all we Fair play, Tony.
1: That. Yeah, yeah, good job,
0: Tony. So only 37 more points for Tony before yeah. you can start running up Adrian's <laughs> wall or whatever it was we said last week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to quote of the week. That's all the games. And this week we're going to focus on Bill Shankly. Bill's so same job again, boys. I hope you've been practising your accents. Uh, who wants to go first? Well,
1: um, Peter? After I was the best last week, so yeah, I'll start. Sure you were. Oh,
4: yes, you were, yeah.
1: Okay, so if you're not sure what to do with the ball, just pop it in the net and we'll discuss your options afterwards.
3: Fretman. He said The Irish. The Irish. I don't know, what, Irish Irish open think, I don't <laughs> know what that was.
0: <laughs> I just don't understand.
3: Hey, he's an ulsterman there, so, he's yeah. a
0: an he was, so
1: he was. I kind of knew it sounded like it was Northern Ireland, but I was just hoping no one would notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was more Ian Paisley than Big Shankly I was.
2: <know,
0: yeah. laughs> All right, Carl, you're up next.
2: Uh, well, I love Bill Shankley one after his goalkeeper Tommy Lawrence let a goal through his legs. And Lawrence said to him at half time, oh, I'm sorry, boss, I should have kept my legs shut. And Shankley just said to him, You hey, need bother, son. It's not you, you should have kept your legs shut, it's your mother.
0: That's a good line. <laughs> and another bad accent, <laughs> Oh, to you that's there. Irish. that's good, Kurt. <laughs> got to follow that one up, Scott. What do you
3: got? i am going to go for a bit of philosophy on this one, lad, So bear with me a second while I drum up the vocal calls to come up with a Scottish accent. But here we go. A lot of football success is in the mind. You must believe you are the best and then make sure that you are. In my time at Anfield, we always said that we be are the best two teams in Merseyside, Liverpool and Liverpool Reserves. Jesus, where goes. the
1: hell
0: did that <laughs> accent come from? Yeah, you, you've uh, been working with a uh, voice
3: coach, too. Yeah, <laughs> so, You know, yeah, shucks.
4: All right, let's go to the Liverpool fan then. What have you got, Danny? Um, I thought I had this down earlier on, but now I'm a bit nervous. Uh, <laughs> uh, that one. Um Pressure is walking down the pit. Pressure is having no work at all. Pressure is trying to escape relegation on 50 shillings a week. Pressure is not the European Cup or a championship or a cup final. That's the reward.
3: It's not I bad, he, it is. It's not bad. It's not bad. Good, bad. But I think what he's done is he's nailed himself apart in the next Braveheart film. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Right, that's the quote of the week. And let's move on to the Premier League PS Football all-time 11. We've already got a keeper. We've got two centre-backs. And now we need some full-backs. Peter, who you got?
1: Um, I think for the, the right-back, I don't think there's any... Well, in my mind, anyway, there's no... Um, there's no question marks there. Just it has to be Gary Neville for the the amount of success he had, the the consistency of his performance, and um, great defensively, good going forward, um, worked all day up and down the line. Also very underrated crosser of the ball. Um, yeah, I can't look any further than Gary Neville in terms of the right back spot. Um, for the left back. Um, I'm kind of torn a little bit between Ashley Cole, who I think was the best defensive left-back in the Premier, I've seen in the Premier League. Um, he, as you remember the famous gestures, he, he used to put Ronaldo in his pocket and um, for a few years there at Chelsea he was the best left-back in the world, in my opinion. The other boy I'm, I think has a chance of getting in there would be Patrice Evra mm-hmm. um, and I think if you moulded the two of them together, you'd have the perfect left-back because Cole was probably better defensively but um, or Patrice Evra offered you a lot more going forward Um, but I think at a push because I want to go with a really really attacking left midfielder I'm thinking about dropping a striker back there just to get more attackers in the Mm -hmm. team so I want that left hand side to be locked down and I'm going to go with Ashley Cole
0: Ashley Cole and Gary 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 Neville Uh, Carl who have you got?
2: I've got the same two I was literally the same as Peter there. I think ne- you know, Neville, you can't argue with him, the most solid and best right-back the Premier League, I think, over the years. And Ashley Cole, again, I'm with, I'm with Peter. I think he was probably, at the time, one of the best full-backs in the country and in the world.
3: Scott? I've gone with Tim Breaker and Julian Dix.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: no. I've actually, as much as I love Dixie, um, I've gone with the exact same two. One of the things I love, Particularly about Neville was him winding up Liverpool supporters and showing a bit of passion. Uh, and Cole, for me, was is without a doubt the shadow, without a shadow of a doubt, the best left back this country's ever seen, uh, and the best in the Premier League here yeah, for sure.
1: Honorable mention to Dennis Irwin before we go any further. Sorry, Dennis, you couldn't fit you in there.
0: And uh, what about it, Danny? Can you somehow manage to get a United player in there?
4: Uh, Ah yeah, no, Um, I think uh, Callum said it last week, maybe it's the time we're growing up in or the age we've grown up in, Um, and longevity plays a big part, but usually with longevity comes quality, and it's uh, Ashley Cole and Gary Neville for me, Um, Gary Neville, eight titles, three FA Cups, two League Cups, two Champions Leagues, in the Premier League, Team of the Year five times, model pro. um, yeah, reliable, had a great relationship with Beckham, probably not as good of a relationship as he would have liked to have off the pitch with him. He always looked at him a bit strange, you know. Uh, and then Ashley Cole, yeah. Uh, I thought he loved to attack. I know Peter said a great defensive pullback. I thought he loved to attack. He knew when to attack. Uh, and I've never seen anyone defend as well against Ronaldo. don't think anyone has been able to defend that well either. Uh, cracking player.
3: And not to forget the last thing with Cole he was also part of the Invincibles team so he had two successful periods in his career at two London clubs he was absolutely awesome. Yeah
1: I, I, I did he was good going forward as well I, I just think Everett kind of offered a bit more um, going forward.
0: Right, that's a clean sweep from everyone for the fullbacks, and uh, it takes us pretty much to the end of the show but first of course the feature that we're all looking forward to it's the JT award for prick of the week so who have we got this week? Peter?
1: Um, i am going to go with musaku from west ham mm-hmm. i think it was highlighted on super sunday laughing and joking just before uh, the ball came in for lukaku to score united's uh, second goal um yeah that's that's prick like behavior you're an absolute prick musaku at that level of football to be yeah t- to not be concentrating um is just unexcusable Prick. I'm
2: going to go for a team this week, not just one individual, but the Estonian team, FC Flora Pierre. Did anyone see this? This was a team who kicked off their game and managed to score for the opposition without them touching the ball. That was Just fantastic. by knocking it around at the back and then managed to just end up sticking it in the back of the net while trying to play fancy football. So what a bunch of pricks. Top work. Right. Mm-hmm. Scott?
3: Um I could have gone for Masawaku because, like Peter said, having a laugh and a joke with the opposition. And I could have even gone for Slavin Bilic for playing Andre Ayew and almost giving Slavin Bilic a reach around. But I don't think you can look beyond uh, John Joe Shelby. This bloke's a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and Danny?
4: Uh, I've gone with Gary Cahill. Uh, I know it's close to the bone for the for the... <laughs> for, for the JT uh, the JT award and all that but he just got a bit too excited you know about getting the captain's armband all to himself keep it in the pants Gary keep it in the pants
0: <laughs> all good calls uh, anyone got any favourites I particularly like that Estonian team
1: yeah that yeah, was good I saw that yeah, I think that's yeah, pretty that's, good
4: let's try and appeal to the Estonian market <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> why not Top work, boys, and uh,
0: top work to the uh, whole Estonian team. What was the name of it again, Carl? Or Scott? Uh, Carl, FC,
2: yeah? FC Flora Pierre, if that's how you say it. Well, well done, boys. You're a
0: bunch of pricks.
1: Pricks. pricks. <laughs> yes, well done.
0: And that's right. it. Thanks so much, boys. Uh, thanks to Peter. Cheers.
1: I'll see you next week, lads. Thanks to Carl. Cheers. See you next week.
0: Cheers, Scott. See you later, boys. And thanks, Danny. Cheers, lads. See you next week. And we'll see you next time. That's it, and thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again next week for another episode of the PS Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, drop us a tweet at underscore PS underscore football or message us on Facebook, and please like, subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes as it really helps other people to find the show. Thanks so much, and we'll see you again next time.